God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. So, you know, in Mitt Romney's last few weeks, confirmed Kentanji Brown, he he can he confirmed, confirmed Kentanji Brown Jackson voted against repealing TSA mask mandates. This is uh, Mitt Romney, the Republican. We were going to vote for him for president in 2012. Remember that? So confirmed Katanji Brown-Jackson voted against repealing TSA mask mandates, didn't show up to vote for defunding Biden's vaccine mandate, and accused Tulsi Gabbard of treason for opposing war in Ukraine. Wow. (laughs) And we heard what Tulsi Gabbard had to say, right? We know that she was talking about the idea that this war in Ukraine could easily have been avoided, and we know that, duh. And we also know that the military-industrial complex will benefit from this, and we also know that this is helping the Green Initiative in uh, raising the cost of oil and gas through the roof, and and they're not even going to take the blame for it. They're going to blame Putin for it. Of course— the popular sentiment across the country, even in the left-wing media, is that they can't even sell this. They can't sell it. And so it's kind of an interesting thing uh, to see what's going on with Biden. You know, yesterday, Obama was up at the White House for some event, and, and Biden has been videotaped, you know, all over the place. I'm sure you've seen it where he's just walking around aimlessly. Nobody wants to talk to Joe Biden. And have you ever been to a party where you just feel uncomfortable? You don't know anybody there. Everybody's engaged in conversations because they all know each other. And you're sort of like, you know, holding a drink and a napkin and you're wondering, who am I going to speak to? I don't know. I don't know anybody here. You know, those are awkward moments. 
I think we've all as adults had similar moments. But um, Joe Biden is the president of the country. And he, you know, and it was kind of interesting, too, because, you know, Barack Obama and Kamala Harris were like all chummy. Kamala Harris came back to life like my mentor, my my savior is is right here. He's Barack Hussein. And you could see how they were just getting along famously. And they, they knew everybody in the room. Joe Biden, I don't think, could remember anybody in the room. It, it was very reminiscent of someone who would have dementia, which is a horrible, absolutely horrible disease. Dementia, Alzheimer's. You know, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But you don't elect them as president either. You know, so the mainstream media is now, you know, once upon a time would tell you that Joe Biden was not ready, not 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 capable of winning the primary, the primaries and and winning the. uh, But then, you know, Bernie Sanders came along and changed their calculus, sort of like Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton couldn't walk up a pair of stairs, set of stairs. Bernie Sanders scared scared the uh, Democrat Party. And you know why? Because of the big corporate donors. BlackRock, Vanguard, and all the corporations that they own were basically like, nah, we can't support Bernie Sanders. He's just on record way too much saying bad things about corporate America. So we should have learned then, and we, we know now, that it's the corporations and, and all their money that's running the show. It's the big tech giants. It's the big corporations that are too big to fail. And now they wield the power of the, not only the power of the purse, but they wield the power of influence. They wield the power of messaging. They wield the power of censorship. They wield the power of free speech. They control the mainstream media and every narrative that they speak. And they can sink you in a heartbeat. And so this is a bit of a problem. Because any politician that were going to come out and talk about Section 230 or or, you know, try to question the authoritarian rule of the big tech giants who censor or the big corporations that have gone woke and supported Black Lives Matter, Marxist groups that buy houses for a living, it seems like. Well, that's just a bridge too far, and that is a problem. And you'll sink real quick. So that's why it's it's kind of an interesting thing that happened with Elon Musk. Elon Musk dropped three billion dollars on Twitter and seems to be identifying with his client base. His client base is who? The middle class. That's who he wants to have buy his cars. And he's all about putting rockets up in the air and and investing in satellites and communications and getting a return on investment. And, of course, Twitter, their stock went up 
now 37%, not just 20% on the first day, but 37 So he's he's probably made a, a billion dollars in the last few days. He spent $3 billion and he's getting a 35 to 40% return on investment in a few days. I don't know. That's a lot of money. That's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars he's made. And it's nothing to him. He could turn around and take his winnings from Twitter and buy Facebook. Wouldn't that be nice? But it takes a guy with money to overpower the influence of money. It's the politicians who can't do that. The, the politicians have their hand out. They're salivating. They're licking the boots of the people with the money. They're licking those boots. That's all they are. They're boot lickers. And that's a sad state of affairs for our leadership who sells America out to the highest bidder. Ocasio-Cortez and, and uh, Rashid Tlaib and you know, the members of the squad, per se. I guess there's about six or seven Congress women. Is there any men in that squad? I don't think so. Could be wrong, but it's not important. The idea is, is that they saw the math and they know two plus two is four. They're smart enough for that, but don't go any more than that because they're not that bright. But they, what they did, because they're, and they're not that bright because they're selling out the best country in the world. They're selling out America and all that she's capable of and all the potential that we have. That was the beautiful thing about Trump. There was so much potential for the United States. And he, he, he just came in and he fixed the problems. He didn't allow for corporate interests and he didn't allow for hedge hedging the bets to make the gambling more interesting at the top. But that squad, yeah, they saw the math. They said, well, Nancy needs seven. seven uh, she loses seven votes. She doesn't get what she wants. If Nancy Pelosi loses seven votes, she doesn't get what she wants. We're that seven votes. We become the swing states. It's exactly what Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski do all the time, even Joe Manchin was in on the game with regard to West Virginia. These are poor states, small populations. Alaska, Maine, West Virginia, poor states. Yet some of the highest paid off-the-chart money you could ever imagine come in these small states because, by God, they were going to be an influencer one way or the other. And they're going to sit on the fence. They're going to say, you know what? I'm going to make my living right on the center. I'm going to make my living right on the center. And the people are going to have to, they want my vote. They're going to have to buy my vote. That's what's going to happen. And they sit right on that center hedge, right? And they're like, we don't know. This is a swing vote. We need that one vote. Anytime you got a deadlocked Senate, you're going to have senators always looking out for them, themselves and money. Like I say, Mitt Romney is supposed to be a Republican. He confirmed Contangi Brown-Jackson. He voted against appeal, a repealing. He voted against repealing the TSA mask mandate. So now you have to wear masks 
even more. While he sits on a private jet, flies private everywhere, and he gets away with not having to wear a mask, didn't show up to vote for defunding Biden's vaccine mandate, which is basically a social credit score system. He accused Tulsi Gabbard of treason for opposing the war in Ukraine, right? I, I read this in the beginning, but it's worth mentioning again because Mitt Romney, for example, is good friends with none other than Evan McMullen. They're from Utah, and they did their business together, and they decided we hate Trump so much that we're going to get Evan McMullen to run in Utah, and he's popular enough to where he might be able to win in 2016 and relegate Trump to second place, and Trump won't get those electorates in Utah. And guess who supported Evan McMullen? But J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance said, I endorse Evan McMullen, and Trump is bad for America. That's what J.D. Vance said. Yet J.D. Vance is now the front runner for the primary coming up in Ohio. And I think it's just sad news. J.D. Vance is, you know, I've been to many parties where J.D. Vance is, and I know what circles he runs in. I know his PR people. I've had drinks with him. I know what's going on there with J.D. Vance. Trust me, you don't want it. He's going to align, when he gets into the Senate, he's going to align himself with Mitt Romney so doggone quick, it's going to make your head spin. You're going to be like, God, I wish I had my vote back. And I'm like, well, here, Scott's here to tell you, don't go down that road. Keep your eyes open. And those people that endorsed J.D. Vance got paid. And I know that candidates like J.D. Vance, and I don't know this to be true, exactly true with the J.D. Vance thing, but I know this, that, that uh, candidates are constantly buying endorsements. It's just a commonly done thing in D.C., and I am sure as the day is long that Marjorie Taylor Greene endorsed J.D. Vance for that reason. I don't know that that's the case. All I do know is that Marjorie Taylor Greene endorsed J.D. Vance, who hates Trump, and aligned himself with Mitt Romney. And it makes your head scratch, right? It makes your head itchy, right? You just scratch your head and you're like, what? I thought Mar- Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of those heroes. She aligned herself with Laura Loomer. She uh, and Laura Loomer share a list, a mailing list. And Laura Loomer developed that Laura, uh, that big list that she got by running for office. It's a business. It's a cottage industry. You make a whole bunch of money in your war chest. You develop a whole huge list, and then you sell that list out. So. People buy into that list, and then you get loomered, or basically loomer gets paid, and you get access to her subscriber base. It's a good business. It's not bad. Spend $10,000 every time you do a mailing. It's not bad. Reach, Reach a half a million people, a million people. Not a bad thing to do. Maybe get to get your return on investment, but that's the way the business is made here. And people don't, I don't think that, I think they're looking at the, the, the silver object in the screen, but they're not looking at all these side action that's going on. And we're seeing that all over the place. You get one, you get one Patriot event after another. It's almost like 
wow, it's competitive out there. This Patriot, this Patriot business is really competitive. I don't know which Patriot event to go to. Should I go to the Patriot event in South Dakota, or should I go to the Patriot event down in uh, North Carolina or South Carolina? Or should I go to that one in Florida where there are palm trees? I don't know. Who are the biggest names? And how much do they cost to speak? Could be 10000 bucks. Somebody paid $10,000 to this person for them to speak. And it's just an unbelievable racket. And I see it here. I get calls every day for people to want to come on and be a show host on Red State Talk Radio or what have you because they want to pitch and sell their goods, you know, as a show host. And it's just one of these things where I keep telling people, you know, we're all about the content here. You know, we're all about analysis. And that's why I think what Tucker does is so great. You know, and Tucker's guilty of a lot of things, too. I know the circles he runs in, too. And Leonora knows, you know, is good friends with a lot of the people that work with Tucker. I don't really have much bad to say about Tucker because everybody makes choices and everybody's allowed to make their choices. But, um, you know, there was once upon a time, you know, I think Tucker's endorsing J.D. Vance. And, you know, there are people that endorse J.D. Vance. I think that Trump is actually going to endorse J.D. Vance. And I get complaints and emails coming in to this show. And they're like, I think you're wrong about this and that and the other. I'm just telling you what I know. And you, you could do it with it what you want I'm t- but I am telling you what I know and what I know is I as first person first hand and I'm just saying it but I, I really think that Donald Trump also has a very difficult road to to weave you know a very difficult map to because in the world of politics you got to be friends with every single faction you got to be uh, friends with the Lindell faction. You got to be friends with the Patrick Byrne faction. You got to be friends with the General Flynn faction. You got you know, the Sidney Powell fraction, and all these different factions. The Turning Point, the the Charlie Kirk, and the Candace Owens factions. All these different, you know. And then there's the Jack Posobiec, and all these different events and all these different players and all these different people. And they spend a lot of time in D.C. I've been to many events where most of the people I just mentioned have been. And you, you kind of get to know who's aligned with who and what they're doing and why they're doing it and what kind of business they're running. But we got to get ourselves together. I think that one of the biggest problems for facing the Republican Party in 2022, 2024 is that we are so splintered. You know, nobody likes Ronald McDaniel, and she's the head of the RNC. Uh, Not too many people uh, like uh, Matt Schlapp ever since he uh, came out and endorsed Leah Thomas, the trans swimmer. You know, he basically, uh, you know, showed his true colors. And so we have way too many rhinos We have way too many unprincipled people. We have way too many people selling out for money because they put the money over everything else. And I say, you know what? Like for me, 
I feel like I haven't done that. And the reason why is because I make my money elsewhere in the IT business. I have an IT business that where I, I you know, if it wasn't for that, uh, you know, I wouldn't be making a living in this. So, you know, we, we, we want all the donations we can get to try to make this a, a, uh, a, a viable business. Um, but for the most part, for the last five, seven, eight years, I've been doing this, you know, pretty much because I care about my country and I love to speak to you all about these issues. You know, I love politics. It's just a passion. But it's got to be more than a hobby if it's to be really real. And that's that's getting real with you. So, you know, we have a 501c3 uh, organization, MAGAPAC. It's actually a subsidiary of buglecall.org. You could see the whole list of the board members that we have over at buglecall. And you go to buglecall.org and you'll see uh, our, you could see our board members. And MAGAPAC is our grassroots subsidiary of buglecall. And together they support Red State Talk Radio, the Scott Adams Show, with their. Uh, tax-deductible donations that they receive, and then they lend support to our efforts so that we don't have to do this for absolutely free, and we can get some sort of donation in where people get a tax write-off in return. So that's kind of the setup there. And, you know, people ask, well, what are you guys doing? We're holding events in D.C., and we're networking, and we're basically, the mission is to advance America First policies to make America great again. Because we believe wholeheartedly that not only is Trump the grand poobah of greatness, but we also know that Trump can't do it alone. Trump needs support. Trump needs help. Trump needs, we need 100 Trumps. We need 500 Trumps in Congress. 435 in the House of Representatives and, and 100 senators, right? I mean, we need a lot more bureaucrats that think on terms of putting America first. And we know the war we're facing, and we know it because we think about this stuff every day, and we're battling every single day, not only for free speech, and we're pounding the drum when Elon Musk does this business with Twitter, we understand how important this is. What a game changer this could be. And we pound that drum because we're hoping for the best. Like, for example, all he'd have to do is reinstate Donald Trump's Twitter account. And I think (laughs) half the world would come back to Twitter. And that would make their shareholders happy. And that would make Elon Musk even richer than he already is by tenfold. But it would also right the wrongs of this of the of the failures of censorship. Now I, I have this um I have this clip I wanted to play. I've played this years ago, and it's kind of an interesting clip. And um I'm gonna play it for you. It's entertaining. It's something I generally don't do. This is a clip from a movie. And it's called The Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1939. And it's the scene that involves the printing press. Have you ever seen that movie? And have you ever heard that scene? It's quite, quite enlightening. 
And this comes from the Age of Enlightenment. So let's take a listen to this this scene. Because there's not much action in the scene, so you're not missing anything out by not having the video. But it is quite interesting. And this is going to show up. I'm going to put this movie clip uh, that we're about to play in my Substack. you know, later today, uh, where you can go and subscribe to the Substack over at uh, scottadamshow.substack.com. The free section is up. The premium section is being built out. And uh, everybody that signed up prior to April 1st, uh, and we're even including April 1st, uh, will actually be added soon, and you might get a notice. You'll be added to our premium section automatically, free of charge. And then anybody else who wants to have access to the premium section um, can do so by subscribing. But here, take a listen to this uh, scene. I've played this about five years ago. This is something that I saw in this movie, and I thought, man, this is so relevant today. Uh, And this movie's from 1939, reflecting on a time in France that comes from the 15th century. And I said in the tweet, I said, that's where the Democrat, socialist, globalists are right now with their censorship. They're back in the Stone Ages back in the 15th century. And it's never worked then, and it won't work now. Let's take a listen. I've never heard a more beautiful angelus. Who is the bell ringer of Notre Dame? Quasimodo, your majesty. The people simply call him the hunchback. Quasimodo? Hmm. What an odd name. And now, Master Fisher, let's see what reason my high justice had for asking me to come to your shop. What do you call this apparatus? The German inventor Gutenberg calls it a printing press, your majesty. What is it for? To print books, your majesty. For whom? For the people. They will learn to read when they can get books. I can print a volume like this one in a few weeks, and quite inexpensively. Imagine, Frollo, a few weeks. When I ordered my prayer book, it took them years to copy it out, and cost me a fortune. This is more beautiful than the printed book. Nevertheless, the printing press is a miracle. A horrifying miracle. Horrifying? This small press? Small things have a way of overmastering the great. The Nile rat kills the crocodile. This small press can destroy a kingdom. Oh, come, come, my high justice. Don't exaggerate. What is that? It is the first page of a new book, Your Majesty. Let me see it. On the freedom of thought. Who wrote it? Pierre Gringoire. Gringoire? Who is he? A French poet, Your Majesty. A heretic, sir. To spread him is to communicate disease. How do you know? It may be a great blessing to France if people can get books and learn to read. To me, it's a new form of expression of thought. Out there is the old form. All over France, in every city, there stand cathedrals like this one. 
triumphal monuments of the past. They tower over the homes of our people like mighty guardians, keeping alive the invincible faith of the Christian. Every arch, every column, every statue is a carved leaf out of our history, a book in stone, glorifying the spirit of France. The cathedrals are the handwriting of the past. The press is of our time. And I won't do anything to stop it, Prolo. Sir, we must break the press and hang the printer for. Between them, they will destroy our old and holy order. No, no, I'm not such a fool. I, for my part, will protect France from these printed books as I will protect it from witches, sorcerers, and gypsies, the foreign race that is overrunning all of Europe. So there it is. So, statues. They're tearing down the statues here in 2022, in 2021, in 2020. They want to tear down the statues. They want to burn down the buildings. Black Lives Matter's burning down the buildings, and and Antifa's tearing down the statues. And the Democrats want to erase your history, and they want to open the borders with all kinds of different languages. You're going to lose your language. They want to censor you. They want to ban you. They want to kick you off of all of these, all of these uh, platforms. And uh, they're no different than than the criminals of the 15th century. Listen, listen to uh, what Tucker Carlson has to say about the control of information. Very few Americans can speak honestly in public. They've been silenced by threats or simply banned from talking. And as a result, our social media platforms are dominated by unscrupulous liars like Joe Walsh. That's not an accident. It's not a result of their sensitivity. They're not snowflakes. They're hard-edged partisans. That's a re-election strategy. If you control the information, you control the outcome. So keep that in mind as the midterms approach this fall. If you don't restore free speech to social media, it doesn't matter who you vote for. Now, there, that was a short, the short version of a longer clip. But, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, the, the idea is we're heading into an election, and, of course, they want to censor you. I remember um, seeing a YouTube channel, and it was July of, uh, gosh, yeah, it was July of 2020. And there were all this, all this Q community and all these different um, channels that were up on YouTube. And she reported this on YouTube. And she was in California. And she said she had a friend that worked at Google and YouTube. And she said, what's going to go down? She said this in July of 2020. And she predicted it. And she said three months to, to, to now, from now, almost to the day, there will be a uh, centering on YouTube where they're going to cut everything. They're going to cut a, shut down a whole, it's going to be a hit job against all the conservative voices on YouTube. And sure enough, they all were wiped out three months to the day she said that. And so that somebody in, in uh, Google and YouTube knew about this. I think her name was Dana something or other. 
But in any case, I, I've tried finding that video or that audio, and I, I've not been able to find it. But I was watching also this brilliant uh, interview with uh, Batcha Unger Sargon, and she's she's a an opinion editor over at Newsweek. But what she said last night, I thought was really brilliant. Let's take a listen. Under Sargon, she's the deputy opinion editor at Newsweek. She's single-handedly responsible for making that magazine worth reading once in a while. And so we're happy to have her. Bachi, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, no, it's true. I never thought I'd be reading a Newsweek piece until you took over. So thank you for that. Um, so, so clearly they, they've decided, you know, the, the hive has turned on the queen. Um, how does this play out, do you think? You know, Tucker, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And a big mazel tov. Congratulations to you for being the number one most watched show among Democrats. <laughs> uh, you know, it's such a privilege to be here with you. We get to talk to both Republicans and Democrats. And that's very related to what we're discussing here. You know, my view is that the reason that the liberal media is turning on President Biden is because he failed at the one thing they really needed him to do, which was to sustain the fiction that the big divide in America is political when as what you know because you cover this every night on your show the real divide is about class and on a host yes. of issues from COVID to crime to inflation to the role the U.S. should be playing in the war in Ukraine uh, you know working class and middle class Americans who are Republicans and Democrats they just are not divided on these issues they are divided from the elites who claim to represent them but there's that yawning gulf between the liberal media the elite the Democratic Party and where average Americans of both parties are at. And I think they thought President Biden would help them paper over that gap when what's happened is he's come to embody it. And so they're distancing themselves from him to sort of hide from their own failures, Tucker. I thought that was brilliant analysis right there, that what she just said is just absolutely just brilliant. And that that is that uh, it's not politics, it's class. And, you know, the people that started first class, the people that have always been about segregation, have always been the elites. They've always been the Democrats. You know, it was George Wallace that didn't want those black students to to uh, to walk into the white school and integrate with society. That was a Democrat governor. That was uh, George Wallace from Alabama. It was a Democrat idea. It was the Democrats. If you Google this, uh, who wrote the Jim Crow laws? And you look at the Wikipedia on that, which is a left-wing organization. And they themselves say it was written by state and local uh, Democrats in the South that wrote the Jim Crow laws and advanced the idea of the green book and that green if you ever see a good movie green book is a good movie um but you know the idea is that it's they've always been about segregation they've always been about vip passes you know i remember when i was living in new york it used to be you would just show up first come first serve and go to the central park and see a concert and then what happened was you know there were too many elites that weren't able to get good seating. So what they did was they said, okay, we're going to reserve uh, certain sections for VIP members. 
And any, it's open to anybody. And all you got to do is sign up. And of course, the only people that got those VIP passes were, you know, the elites uh, that didn't even have to sign up. They were just automatically inducted into the elite status. You know, you go back to the Gilded Age and you look at the 400 Club. You know, these were all members, again, of a society where the new money wasn't welcome. Even though they were the ones that were basically earning it themselves, rising up. And the same is true with respect to um, what we see with the elites. They don't want the middle class to rise up. They don't want, they want less Elon Musks. They want more, uh, you know, aristocrats. They want more skull and bones and mason, uh, masons. They want more fraternities and insider clubs. Because the deck is stacked in their favor. They love monopolies. Which is why this new world order is going to absolutely involve. And this is why, you know, Biden and his team is doing it on purpose. This war is pushing Russia and China together. And that is one of the issues that people, I don't think, are fully understanding. Is that this... This is creating a new world order of chaos and concern where they're crushing like Cloward and Piven or like Solinsky. They're crushing the American economy by forcing the hand of Russia. They know exactly what moves Russia can make. They know exactly what moves Putin can take. They know that Russia has an incentive more now than ever before to align themselves with China. And here's the biggest problem is China and Russia have far exceeded our ability with hypersonic weapons. That's another big frontier and another big issue. So they could dominate us militarily. And as they move to the gold standard, they could dominate us uh, economically. As our dollar starts to collapse and our culture starts to, to diminish. You know, there's, there's going to be nothing identifiable to even defend in our country. We're going to wake up one day and we're going to be like, defend what? It's just a, a bunch of land, buildings, and dirt. I, I don't even know what we're defending anymore. Because the Constitution, the Bill of Rights our freedoms and liberties and justice have been all watered away. They've all been destroyed. They've been set ablaze. And it started with Barack Hussein Obama, who basically said, you know, the founding fathers were a bunch of racists and imperfect. It's an imperfect document. You know, he trashed it. It was the blueprint to our success as a country. It's what enabled us to actually be leaders and also uh, be flexible and open-minded and giving. It's what made us the biggest donor nation in the world. And no longer can we even afford these things. We can't afford to be that. We're not leaders anymore. And that's the sad truth. So we're going to continue with this uh 
Bachelor uh, Unger Sargon. But what she said there was about it's about class. And she said that they have no use for Biden anymore because Biden is has become one of them. And he always was one of them. But he is not able to paper that that gap. He's not able to paper that gulf between the middle class common sense thinkers and the aristocratic elite. He's not able to, that Scranton thing doesn't work anymore. And so he's useless. This guy can barely know, he barely knows his name. He referred to Jill as the vice president working with Michelle Obama when Obama was president. You know, I know what he was trying to say, but he cannot get his words together. And he's socially uh, inept, as we've seen in these audio and video clips uh, of him wandering aimlessly around the room. He's president of the United States, for crying out loud. But, you know, only in figurehead purposes only. Because we we know who really won the election, and that's Donald Trump. By the way, there's a truckload of things that are happening in the election world in terms of election integrity, and also it's worth mentioning that Ohio, the Ohio legislature passed Florida's Florida state like uh, legislation that uh, empowers parents, just like Florida. Uh, so th- they're advancing this power to the parents kind of uh, legislation and giving parents a lot more control over their children. Their children are not products of society. They're products of the parents. They are not owned and controlled by the community or the government, the local government. They are controlled by their parents and they're owned by their parents and they're loved by their parents. The parents get the final say as to how you raise your own children, not the school board, not the local politicians. But the Democrats like to spin that. And again, that's another attack on your Christian values. And if you have Christianity and God in your life, uh, they can never, ever introduce government as the sole dominant thing. They hate it when people say, well, there's my God, and then there's my myself and my job and my life and my family. Uh, they hate that because they cannot they cannot become more powerful than that in one person's life when they put God first and family first. So let's continue to listen to this. I mean, you can, it's so simple. The formula that you just suggested is so obvious. If you had a president who was truly moderate, truly interested in the lives of the people he represented, who cared about people making 70 grand and not just people who run Amazon. Like you could you could win every election and rule forever. Why don't they do that? I mean, it's such a great question. I think, it, you know, last night you talked about monopolies and how, you know, anybody who resists sort of threatens the monopoly and threatens the power. And I think that the Democrats and the liberal elites in the media have gotten a lot of power from consolidating around, you know, the class that they share. And you see it even, I think, Tucker, on one area where the president actually is sort of representing where Americans are at, which is on Ukraine. He's really walked a fine line, I think, towards supporting the Ukrainians the way Americans want, want him to. But 
but yeah. not escalating in the way that Americans really exactly. don't want him to. And on that, you know, the media beats him up the worst, right? Because he's threatening that elite point of view. That is so true. And I, I think, I mean, what do I know? I'm not in touch with Biden every day, but just watching him on TV, he did not, his first instinct was not to escalate. I don't think he wanted a war with Russia. And it really felt like he was suborned by the people around him to escalate beyond what most Americans yeah. want. They want to support Ukraine. They don't want a hot war with Russia. Fair? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, he is trying his best to resist pressure from both parties, by the way, by the from the yeah, elites in both parties, yes. although, of course, not from this show, because you tell it like it is, Tucker. <laughs> well, it is interesting, you know, but I, I think that his passivity in the beginning uh, empowered Russia uh, to invade Ukraine. I think that they wanted that to happen. They could have avo easily avoided it. But I think that they wanted it to happen, and the military-industrial complex is going to benefit from this. The Czech Republic already introduced tanks into the region, and we are supporting the Czech Republic. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. Um, you know, we're going to go ahead and take a caller. This is John from the Chicagoland. John, welcome to the Scott Adams Show. Hey, Scott. You know, I I've actually noticed lately in some of the news feeds that Newsweek actually had a pretty reasonable uh, set of stories in a way that you just hadn't been uh, seeing before. And I was actually surprised by that. So I have noticed a change in the editorial direction of, of Newsweek as well. Yes. So it's interesting that he uh, had her on. The only quest quibble I'd have with her, however, when she talks in the, in the language of class, it's about class, not, not, not um, you know, party or whatever. Yeah, that's the language Marxists use, and I'm always very careful because that's a very Marxist analysis of of a, of a situation. Now, it may be valid to a great degree, right, in terms of how Trump appealed to people in 2016. He appealed to a different class of people, but that's the only quibble I'd have with her. I'm, just, I'm always a little suspicious of people who talk like that just because I'm not sure if they're doing that intentionally. I agree, but I think, the, that it's, um, and to your point, I think the Democrats have used class. That's why they had, uh, they're the inventors of first class in the airline industry. First class, second class, you know, and first class citizens, second class citizens. You know, the uh, it's basically a form of, um, you know, the VIP lounge or, the, you know, segregation in every shape and form is a liberal concept. Yeah, I mean, I, I think oh, on the other hand, well, yeah, I think a lot of that's just market innovation. People want to, hey, I want a better service experience. Right. We'll give you a first class. I don't, so I don't mind that. That's a great, that's a great you know, response I to what I just said. I agree with what you just said there. Yeah. Um, you know, regarding... Uh, the, um, the what you said earlier about the nation not being something a lot of people are willing to fight. I, I for I've noticed that sentiment or that that trend as well over the last you know, twenty some years, and, and it's actually been going on much longer than that. But I think when you when you make the country a Tower of Babel, which I think is the apt analogy to what's going on here, right? What happens in the Tower of Babel? They fall to infighting among themselves because God makes it such that they do not understand each other anymore. And because of their pride that they could build something to the heavens, they ended up crashing to the ground. And I think there's a lot of that here. I mean, I think we're not just literally having all sorts of languages. I mean, you have, you know, we brag about, oh, our ballots are printed in, you know, 94 languages. Is that a good thing? I mean, why, why would we do that? Not only is it expensive, it shows that we're fractured. And to someone who, you know, his first language and, and pretty much only language is Tagalog, is they're going to really understand the, what we have going on here? Does that person really want to vote or should they vote? You know, if you think about it, it makes no sense. But 
it's been a gradual it's a process over the last 50 60 years you bring a variety of races together some are inevitably going to do worse than others and then you rub that wound raw that's that's it's rinse and repeat with the democrats and then you of course create a welfare class you create dependency which you read alexis de tocqueville he talks about this that democracy ends the day the public realizes it can vote itself largesse from the public treasury um, that I think believe Alexander Tyler, a Scottish historian, also said that. I mean, clearly we've seen that because now there's no restraint at the tilt. And that leads to what you said with the Russians. One of the reasons why the Russians have uh, some hand here, so to speak, as George Costanza might say, the reason they have some leverage is because we have so weakened the dollar. And if you look historically, one nation will have the reserve currency for about 100 to 125 years. But the Spanish, the Dutch, the British, the French... And then they will abuse it. Somehow they will screw it up. And that's exactly what we've done because that's what, you know, you look at, I mean, we know the debt situation. It's, and, and, and beyond budget debt is $30 trillion. If you take into account present value of future obligations, it's apparently between $100 and $200 trillion unpayable. And then, you, you know, you look at um, uh, local debt, municipal debt, corporate debt, and it's because these low interest rates, which we've been able to get away with because the rest of the world will take our dollars. What this is going to do, if it's successful, and I think it will be, and I think the gold-backed ruble will only be for internal consumption, because they're not, like, they're not going to let you and me turn in rubles for gold. But if you're in Russia, I think it's gold-backed. But having that, and they're looking at a basket of currencies and commodities, so it's more stable between the Russia, China, gold, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, having that will give people an option to go through a different money clearance system than SWIFT. What that means is there's less demand for dollars, Right, because that's, that's what Nixon got with the petrodollar in the early seventies. Yeah, seventy-one. Yeah, yeah, and so that, and, and since then, by the way, we've seen tremendous, uh, faster inflation than ever before. Well, you know why? Because not coincidentally, it, because it required a, a level of responsibility to not do the things that they did, and now you know they're talking about putting this radical lefty onto the Fed. Uh, board right um you know and it's just going to get worse um but the idea is is that you know getting off the gold standard had its advantages of giving us flexibility when we needed it um but but it required a lot of responsibility and it required a lot of discipline and it's that discipline that just has been completely destroyed and that's why our dollar is in such a bad state right now. Leadership. Well, I think the discipline has, well, I mean, the discipline has gone the way of the board in many ways, whether it's in the military. Yeah. Think about the, the dying out of military schools. All that has been discipline has taken a back seat to other things. And, you know, they also added to the Fed's mandate, not just inflation, but full employment. Well, that's kind of, I mean, you know, now, now you're sort of balancing two things. And then it became, you know, now you've got, idiots in the congress asking powell about what about uh are you going to use the fed's power to help different races so you know how how do you do that and and that's because you know we've had again when you have a variety of different groups who think as that group whether it be religious uh you know so you have a bunch of non-christians now and that's going to conflict with christians to to an extent you're going to have uh different races different you know new immigrants you're going to have so much fracturing that we, it's harder to sort of have a common purpose, like you said. And then in the end, you look back and say, if I'm going to be called names, a white supremacist, for example, if you're white, or if I don't feel, if I feel resentful towards society, why am I going to fight? And, and 
that's what they've accomplished, which is to hollow the nation out from the inside, if you think mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And, and then the, the accelerant the, on the fire could be this dollar situation, because if, if the dollars dry up overseas but they don't want it, then it flushes back home or floods back home. That's inflation. And that would probably make, I think that would make the current predicament tame in comparison. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I think that yeah, know, I wanna, we're going to do a yeah, whole well, series. We're going to do a yeah. whole series on gold in the next couple of weeks. Um, wait and see. We have a, a couple of experts that we're going to be bringing on, and we're going to uh, introduce uh, video interviews as well related to this subject. So, um, hey, uh, we're running at the end of our show. I wanted to um, before I, you know, but I wanted to thank you for calling in today, John. And uh, all right, thanks, Dad. Yeah, sure. Okay, and uh, before we go, I wanted to get into this one topic really quick before we leave, and that is, I had mentioned that, you know, this New World Order and the Russia-China hypersonic weapons, there's a great article I posted, it's by Zero Hedge, it's really, uh, the Financial Times has really been the leader on this subject, and uh, what they've done is they've, um, it says, Biden to unveil U.S., U.K., and Australia in new trilateral security hypersonic pack. Now, what's interesting about that, that's our Five Eyes partners, right? Five Eyes is New Zealand, Australia, United States, Canada, and United Kingdom. So three of them, and they were all anti-Trumpers too, by the way. And they all colluded with the CIA and, you know, attacked Trump with the Russian hoax story. But... You know, the idea here is they've become a real threat. But I see this new world order becoming this new alliance. This is an alliance. This is a precursor. Like the vaccine mandates, uh, passports are a precursor to social credit score systems. This newly formed hypersonic pact will be part of that overall um, new world order alliance where you'll have the West and the East. So Russia, Iran, uh, probably Pakistan, uh, and China uh, will be one uh, faction. That'll be a monopoly like was was being talked about on the Tucker clip that I showed you. That monopoly uh, wields them more power and more control over their people. And the same will be true with regard to the EU and what will probably end up becoming an American union, combining together and becoming a huge monopoly there and controlling its people. And you would only have these two big giants in the world. In any case, brings us to the end of our show. Be sure to check out magapack.org and help us out by making a donation over there at magapack.org. Use Red State over at mypillow.com and check out scottadamshow.substack.com for this podcast. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. Just to bury my kids right up to there.